Welcome to another episode of Bereans Podcast. Each week we share a message from the Bible and examine it to understand and learn to apply it to our lives. The hope is that through the wisdom of the scriptures, we will all be encouraged to make real life change and that the power of the gospel will transform our lives. Thanks for listening and enjoy this episode of the Berean Podcast that starts right now. Good morning, Living Church. It's a privilege to be with you and to worship together. And we're here in a series, as it's saying on the screen. Pastor Devin has been taking us through a series called Thrive, about being rooted in the basics. Basics like reading the Bible, prayer, fasting, being a part of of a living fellowship called membership, where we walk together with people of like mind. And we continue that today. It's all about good habits. It's about basic disciplines that help us walk this life with Jesus and help us walk through a world that is amazingly confusing every single day. Well, it is Mother's Day, and uh, far be it from me to offer advice to all women. I wouldn't try to do that, or even advice to uh, all moms. But I do have some advice for moms with school-aged children who will be home this summer I want to make your life easier as summer approaches. So as your kids are running, wondering what to do this summer, tell them this. Go outside and play. Just go outside and play. And I take that under some counsel because a man named Richard Louvre wrote a book called The Last Child in the Woods. He's concerned about this generation of children that's growing up in an artificial, insulated environment where things are all on screen, we can look them up on Google, we know all about social media, we know about video games, we know about all kinds of things like this, but they've never experienced laying in the grass or or bringing home a grass stain or getting a well-earned scab on their knee that they have to explain to mom. Where'd you get that? Well, we were trying to ride double on a skateboard down the driveway and there was a car coming. Well, anyway, you know, (laughs) they don't know what's in the pond. Haven't experienced dirt or mud or cold or wet. Just real life that they're not really out there in the real world without any direct contact with real life experiences. And he's saying this is making our children not only more susceptible to to different diseases, but just weaker and, and not experiencing life as it should be. 
But I just wonder if that picture is perhaps a picture of my own spiritual life, my own walk with Jesus, that I have all kinds of secondary things that I depend on. I, I read blogs. I listen to worship music. I, I come to church. I listen to sermons. I have all these secondhand experiences. I love watching YouTube smackdowns of heretics on, on video. But what about my direct living experience with Jesus in my life? Do I walk with him daily? Do I feel his strength? Do I listen to his voice and do I listen for his voice as he counsels me through the day? Is he a guide? Is he a friend? Is he the lover of my soul? Does he really speak to me in times when I'm sad or depressed or fearful to say it is well with your soul? Sometimes we have little direct experience with the person whom we say we love and follow. And so maybe we are experiencing a fellowship deficit disorder in our lives. Where what we really need is that direct experience to thrive, to live, to have livelihood in our lives as a friend so that there's more joy in our life. Well, there is a daily discipline that restores this kind of life to us. And so I hope today that we can step outside the bubble of secondhand experiences Step outside of our own self-protection, maybe even outside some shame that you'll initially feel when I mention this topic today, and discover a world of relationship that is waiting for us at the invitation of experiencing a daily discipline and a habit that he has for us, to be fully immersed in the wild love of God. And he calls this fellowship in the scripture. Listen for it as we read 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 10. Would you stand with me if you're able to stand in honor of God's word? These are the verses that are going to shape us today and lead us into truth. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him, While we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just, and will forgive our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, We make him to be a liar, and his word is not in us. Thank you. You may be seated. This is God's word for us today. Now, let's back up and take a run at this, because true, real, hands-on life with God is called fellowship. Fellowship is the word koinonia in Greek. We often hear that in churches. And fellowship is not having red punch in the gymnasium after a service, (laughs) It could happen there, but I doubt it. Fellowship is not just a few kind words in the commons. Fellowship is feeling that warmth. It's feeling the belonging. 
It's feeling that shoulder-to-shoulder presence when you're walking into something scary and difficult. Someone is with you. That's called fellowship. It's called love. It's called health. It's called intimacy with God. It's that strength when you need it. It's that that forehead on yours looking at you when you are a weak in, in a weak position saying, I'm here with you. Fellowship is that log chain thrown to you when your pickup's in the ditch and it pulls you out. It's the strength that we need. And this fellowship with God is what he desires for us in two directions. One is the horizontal direction, fellowship with one another, but the other direction is vertical, it's with him. And that's our concentration this morning. And that fellowship with God, that that real life experience with God is interrupted, it says in verse 6, by darkness. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie. You see, God is true and God is good through and through, and evil can find no place beside God. There's no fellowship between light and darkness. It's inimical to a holy God. It's repulsive to him. It's repellent to him. It's inconceivable that God could have a part of him that is shadowy where we could reside. No, we need to be in the light as he is in the light. And you can't discover this fellowship with God through philosophical speculation or through intellectual education or entertainment or scientific investigation nor can we have this fellowship with God through secondhand vicarious association with saints, Christian celebrities, and listening to sermons. It needs to be direct. It needs to be person to person. You can only come to fellowship. And here's the key. We can only have fellowship with God by recognizing our own darkness and confessing it before him. Now, as soon as I say that, I know that we have a a congenital allergy to that. We want to resist that. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Now, relax, by the way. I'm not going to ask you to confess anything to your neighbor this morning. That's not what we're here for. But fellowship with God is disrupted by darkness and sin, but the bridge over this fellowship deficit disorder is called Confession. Does that mean I have to live a life of self-loathing? Self-deprecation. That I need to be humbled in shame every single day. In a sort of good-for-nothingness. I have to be weary and heavy, laden, morose and unacceptable And I need to admit it to him every single day. Why would I ever go there? Well, let me say to you as we develop this message, confessing has none of that in its recipe. Confessing is not a pathway to incurable shame. It's a doorway to freedom and joy. That's what confessing does for us. And perhaps, could this be today? This is a very discipline that you need to practice. Maybe to start to practice, maybe to continue to practice is confession. To have real experience with God 
through this gracious invitation of a healthy habit for you and for me. Well, here's the problem. Let's look at the passage. It says three times in this passage, if we say, if we say, it says it in verse 6, verse 8, and verse 10. You know, we're all dodgy, aren't we? We, we don't like this subject, and so we, we're all very predictable. So the inspiration of the scripture got ahead of us and said, okay, here's three ways you can think you can get out of this. If we say we have fellowship with him and we walk in darkness, we lie, and we don't have fellowship with each other. There cannot be a community based on darkness. Secondly, it says in verse 8, if we say we have no sin, we are self-deceived. We're fooling ourselves. And thirdly, it says, if we say we have not sinned, either presently or in the past, we accuse God of a false assessment of us. While all the time God is standing there with the receipts, (laughs) and he's seen it. Here's what Charles Spurgeon says about this. Our deceitful heart reveals an almost satanic shrewdness in self-deception. If you say you have no sin, you have achieved a fearful success because you have put out your own eyes and perverted your own reason. This is what it says in 1 John chapter 1. So the result is if I claim to have no sin, if I deny that there's darkness that has crept into my heart, then fellowship is broken. Fellowship is broken. That warmth, that relationship is broken. Now, notice it says fellowship. It doesn't say salvation at all. It's fellowship. It's the relationship. So you're a busy mom. You hop into the car and get everybody in the minivan. The dog jumps in. The kids are scrambling for their seatbelts. And and you're in a hurry. You're late for soccer practice. And you put it in reverse. And you take off. And you forgot to open the garage door. And you call your husband, and what you say is, you know that dumb dog you bought me distracted me. I couldn't see out the back window. The the throttle stuck, and the garage door didn't open. Now, how's the dinner table going to be that evening when you all get back together? You've just excoriated everybody from the dog to the children to your husband. Fellowship is broken, but you're all part of a family. You all belong to each other. You're all in this home, but fellowship has been broken. This is the kind of thing we're talking about with God. I'm still a son. You're still a daughter, but are we talking to each other? Are we relying on each other? Are we gathering around the table and enjoying the good things that we have for each other? Well, what restores this fellowship? It's only confession. Confession is the word in Greek. It's called homologeo. It means to say the same thing. It means to agree. Confession is not crawling down the aisle on glass until your knees are bloody and and ending up somewhere in an utter puddle of blood and sweat. Confession is coming to the Father, coming to the table, and saying, I agree with you. I did that. I said that. I agree. 
You see that dent? That's mine. <laughs> that $3,000 mistake, I did that. And I recognize for many of you, this is feeling very threatening because you were raised in a context where it was unsafe ever to confess anything. Because if you confessed a wrong, if you were punished, you were labeled, you were ridiculed, maybe you were raised in an abusive context or a high controlling context or a, with a perfectionist or a legalist. And to confess anything means that you basically go to a dungeon of unforgiveness for the rest of your life and you live in shame. So I'm pleading with you to memorize this phrase this morning. It's on the screen. At the heart of God is the desire to forgive and restore. Think about this from Genesis chapter 4 to Revelation chapter 21. Is God's desire to forgive, to restore, and bring us into fellowship with him. He's not drained by you. He's not fed up with you. He's not tired of you or flummoxed by your mistakes. He lives to redeem and to restore. Now, God never denies sin. He doesn't sweep it under the rug. And he isn't pretending that it didn't exist. He's saying, you cannot have fellowship with me and live in darkness. But he's also saying, I've come to restore. Now, there are some goads in our life that also accompany this, that, that urge us to come to this place. Psalm 32, which was read before, says some of those things. It says, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Don't we all long to have the clean slate? Don't we all long to say, let's, let's have a do-over with no record that chases me from behind and no cloud over me? Blessed is the man or the woman who comes that way. In verse 3, it says, For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. This is called conscience. This is called the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And it isn't God reaching down to crush you under his thumb and make you ashamed of who you are. It is the Father saying, bring what you've done to me. Come and speak the same word. Walk with me and agree with me. Another famous psalm about, about confession and repentance is Psalm 51, another psalm of David. It says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. How is the bridge to fellowship built? It's built on this simple, daily, hourly, frequent discipline and habit called confession, agreeing with God. So let's take a slow walk through 1 John 1.9. 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sin 
and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let's go at phrase by phrase. If we confess our sins, if we agree, if we come and we put it on the table, if we come clean, <laughs> yes, I did this. Yes, I said this. No, I didn't do what I should have done. And there it is without hiding. Now, let's imagine a pastor who's coming to teach ironworks on some Friday morning. It's, oh, dark 30. It's in February. It's as dark as a cypress swamp out there, and the snow is blowing. And I come to the left turn lane out here in front where half of my sanctification has been done in my life. (laughs) And there's a big red arrow there. And I'm sitting there in the longest red arrow lane in the world and I look down the road and there's nobody on the street and I look behind me in my rear view mirror nobody on the street here I sit okay I ran the red arrow (laughs) and just to double my felony I came in the out exit of Brian Because I got stuff to do. I'm in a hurry. I'm going to teach. I need to get there. Now, don't let my story of traffic felonies throw you off here. By the way, I'll, I'm going to do the perp walk after this service and go right to the officer outside and <laughs> take my medicine. But let's be serious. What red arrow did you cross? I want you to... I want you to walk through this. I want you just to have your own process here. For you, was it losing it with your child? Where have you transgressed God's word by speaking a wounding word? Today or yesterday or last week or a month ago. And you're just hoping it would sort of somehow dissolve But you know, there's a heaviness on your heart about that. Maybe you lied when you called in sick. Maybe you clicked on a debauched website. Or you embellished a story to your advantage. You committed a crime. Maybe you were unfaithful. You've gossiped. You demanded your way and somebody got hurt. I want you to just pause and walk through that process just in your own mind. What is something? And it might feel eminently scary right now, but that's something. I'm going to bring this something, and I'm going to agree. I'm just going to say, Lord, I agree. I ran the light. I knew I shouldn't have. I did it anyway. So how do I confess? Let's look at this iceberg. You probably are all good enough scientists to know that only 10% of an iceberg is above the waterline. So let's just kind of walk through this and see if it will resonate with our hearts at some level. First of all, above the waterline is behavior. This is the 10% that you see or hear. These are actions and words. So one of the ways of confession is not to run real quick and say, I'm sorry. I apologize. 
No, that's not where you start confession. Where you start confession is to rehearse, to agree, to name it, to own it. I ran the light. I went against what I should have done. We just own it. We name it in the presence of God, alone with him. I acknowledge the offense. I acknowledge the sin. I acknowledge the darkness. I'm defenseless before God. And I simply confess, this is what I did. This is what I didn't do. No ifs, ands, or buts. That's confession. But let's go a little deeper. Let's go under the waterline because why did I do this? And this gets into our thinking or our justification. You know, I did this, but but I was hoping Jesus wouldn't notice it. But he did. Or I justify myself. Well, no one was hurt. Well, I was in a hurry. You know, uh, that was payback for yesterday when you did that to me. And now the score is even. You should understand that. I was running late. I'm German. I can't help myself. I was under pressure. Or maybe what you're thinking is, I will not be proven mistaken in front of my children. I won't be contradicted in a team meeting. I will never lose this deal. My pleasure is the most important thing right now than anything else in the world, including my own character. And the confession is, Lord, this action, this word came from my thinking, and I confess my thinking was foolish. And I lay that on the table. Let's go a little deeper into this iceberg. And that goes to the motives and the heart. What's going on in my heart when all this is happening? What's the what's a deeper thing that causes what I'm doing? And why am I constantly self-protecting? We call this the flesh. This is the old programming. This is what the Spirit of God is fighting in us all the time. Let's let the Apostle Paul name what this might look like in me or in you. Galatians chapter 5, verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of rage, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, And oh, by the way, that's not the end of the list. (laughs) And things like these. What was my motive? What was my motive? Well, my motive was to protect myself at all costs. And I've learned some things in my life that if I don't protect myself, nobody else will. And I have a long-standing and practiced ambition to make sure that I'm number, number one. I would never say that out loud. But it comes out when I'm under pressure. And so 
My confession is not only have I done this, not only is my thinking foolish, but Lord, I know my motives are often in the dark. I walk in darkness, and this darkness, this flesh prompts me, and I confess that to you. Well, let's go one layer deeper. And this is what I call our drivers or our deficits. And these are the old messages that we learn, and we don't even hear these consciously. We just are responding in ways that we don't quite understand. You know, when that person contradicted me, when, that, when I got criticized, it felt, it triggered me. It felt just like third grade when I brought my report card to my dad, and he said to me, son, you're not very smart. Or when my mom said, you know, you'll, you'll never be the prettiest girl. I learned some things by survival that I had to never be found vulnerable. And so I have these self-defense mechanisms built into me. I can never lose or look bad or be found at fault because if that happens, I feel like I'm going to die. This has to do with the drivers and the deficits in my life. We find ourselves in Romans chapter 7, like the Apostle Paul, who said, you know, the things I want to do, I don't do, and the things I don't want to do, I do. I don't understand myself, Lord. And I'm not saying you have to sort all this out as you bring your confession, but you know that there's a lot below the waterline. You need to just say, Lord, help me. Lord, help the boy. Help the girl. And confession just really is agreeing. Relaxing our guard. Like a deacon used to say in one of my uh, church back in Colorado, he'd start every prayer, he'd say, Lord, here we are again. That's right. Here I am. I'm going to agree with you about what you see in my life. And you know what God is going to say? You know what Jesus is going to say to you? He's going to say, okay, daughter. Okay, son. Guess what? I already knew that about you. Before I ever came running after you, I knew that about you. And I knew that about you yesterday and last week and five years ago when you avoided confession. I knew that you wanted fellowship. So welcome to the table. I receive your agreement. You have confessed your sin. So what does this confession bring? Psalm 32, verse 5. I acknowledge my sin to you. Blah. And I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. This is the subjective reconnection. This is the heart-to-heart where you've been honest with God and said, there it is, I'm laying it on the table. And you have a reconnection in fellowship with the Savior. This is a daily invitation. This is spiritual hygiene, like taking your vitamin C or brushing your teeth. This is not a a a once-in-a-lifetime spinal tap. 
It's not a, a root canal every single day. It's an invitation to come to the table and say, let's agree about some things. Lord, thank you that you receive me. This is the way God wants us to be, because the goal is not confession. The goal is fellowship, but it comes through confession. Now, fortify yourself with this truth, because there's a subjective reconnection, but then it says, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just. So this is not just a subjective feeling that's my own. This is something that God established. It's an objective reality. It's actual. It's a fact. It's demonstrated. Your sin is paid for in full, and that's what shows it. Jesus died for that sin. It's been adjudicated. It has been settled. It has been sealed and taken away. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 12. But when Christ had offered for all time, including 2023, a single sacrifice for sin, he sat down at the right hand of God, saying, it's finished. The cross has paid Past, present, and future for all of my sin and all of your sin. You never have to wonder when you confess your sin, will you be forgiven? Instead, you can say with deep gratitude through your tears, thank you for forgiving my sin. You knew I would need it today. You knew I would need it for the 20,000th time for the same thing. It's an objective forgiveness because God is faithful and he's just. He's paid for it already. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins. Psalm 103 says he has taken our sins and separated them as far as the east is from the west. Traveling at light speed, that's pretty far away. He removes it from us. Colossians 1:13 and 14. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. If we confess, he's faithful and just, and will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 Corinthians 6.11, and such, as he's mentioned a whole bunch of sin, and such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. He's cleansed us from sin. Memorize this phrase, at the heart of God is the desire to forgive and restore. Say it with me. At the heart of God is the desire to forgive and restore. Forgiveness is God's demonstrated intervention to pay for all our sin through Jesus on the cross. And now he says, I will forgive that and I'm going to cleanse you. So cleansing is the hug. Cleansing is the warmth. Cleansing is the father running down the road toward the prodigal son and throwing his arms around the son, putting a new mantle on his shoulders, killing the fatted calf and inviting him to the party because as you are my son. 
You were out of fellowship. You were off in a far country. You're doing stupid, harmful things to yourself, but you were still my son, and now you're home. Cleansed. To start a do-over today. A fresh new day of grace and mercy. Well, let's see if we can understand this through a simple story. Let's say you have a little boy. He's four years old. And his name is Devin. And you've just baked a whole batch of chocolate chip cookies. And you put them in your grandmother's heirloom cookie jar. And you just remembered, I've got to run next door just for a minute. So Devin, while I'm gone, do not touch the cookies. So you run next door, you're back within three or four minutes. And there your heirloom jar is broken on the floor and cookies are scattered everywhere. And Devin's got chocolate all over his face. Now, what does a mom want to say to a boy like that? And maybe you've been at the pointy end of somebody's index finger. When you come in, you're exasperated. And this is how you've learned confession and repentance in a wrong way. And the mom says to Devin, why did you do that? Why did you do that? Have you been asked that question? Why did you do that? Of course, Devin's a theologian, so he said, well, I'm a son of Adam. It says in Psalm 51, in sin did my mother conceive me? <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm Canadian, you know. Uh, but seriously, what do you do when somebody says, why did you do that? Why do you keep clicking on that website? Why do you do that? Why did you say that to me? Your whole being is called into question, and that is not the question God is asking you when you sin. You know what he's asking you? What have you done? Well, Mom, I, I got the chair, and I crawled up on the chair, and I grabbed the jar, and I dropped it. That's what I've done. You know the next question God asks? Do you know why that was wrong? Yes, I know why that was wrong. There was a clear red arrow there, and I chose to run the light. I know why it was wrong. God invites us then to enter into his own heart. How do you think that makes me feel? Well, I think it makes you feel sad. How do you feel? Well, this is when maybe in a four-year-old boy, the tears start to come. And he says, I'm sorry. I've wronged you. I disobeyed you. I'm sorry. What does the Father say to us when we confess what we've done? We realize how it's made him feel. We realize what we've done wrong. And we say, Lord, forgive me. What does he say? He says, I forgive you. I forgive you, son. I forgive you. But that's not the end of the story. Because not only does he forgive us, but the story's not over yet because he says this. Listen, I forgive you. And now, let's go together and let's clean up the mess. I'll get the broom. 
you get the dustpan. Instead of me punishing you and making you live in your shame solitary until you work it off and show me that you're a good boy again. No, the father says, you know, I'm coming with you. And now we're going to walk in fellowship shoulder to shoulder. And perhaps what you need to do is you need to confess this to someone else. Maybe there's a hard thing you need to face, but I'm right there with you. I have fellowship with you. You're not alone in your consequences. You're not alone in your bad habits. You're not alone in your mess. I'm going to walk with you. Let's go together. And let's clean this up. This little story, I think, is something that teaches us that God is not calling into question your identity, your very being. He's asking you to come to the table. Will you practice every day so that you can overcome this fellowship deficit disorder? You come and confess. Start simply. Do it often. You'll never wear me out. I know you need this so that we can walk together. And when you do this, God is pleased to embrace you, restore you, and give you that fresh start today. Let's pray together. Lord, I renounce my desire for human affirmation and praise. And I confess that I often go my own way. I transgress clear commands. I pursue my own desires and trust in my own priorities. But I want fellowship with you. I need fellowship with you. So I submit once again humbly to you, my Lord and King. And I thank you for forgiving my sin that I've confessed. I thank you that on the cross you gave everything for me and you want right now to restore the joy, the laughter, the liveliness and the thriving of our relationship together. So cleanse me from the stain of my sin and renew me in the strength of your company today. And I declare right here and right now, you are the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name. And that does it for this episode of the Berean Podcast. All of our ministries at Berean are geared towards the mission of seeing lives transformed by the power of the gospel. If you would like to be connected with our church family or give to the mission of Berean, just jump online to our website at bereanmn.com. Thanks for listening today, and we pray that you are encouraged by today's episode. Be sure to like us on social media, and we'll see you here next time on the Berean Podcast.